Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. Getting excited to go to Cord, Swami? Oh, yeah. I always look forward to Cord every year. We're going down to Nashville, another one of my favorite cities. And it's always a great time because it's a bunch of people who are interested in education, sort of sharing ideas. And you come away with all of these different things that you want to do in your shop to make your education better. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm going for the first time this year. Awesome. Being that I'm a resident, I'm just starting to get into some of the education stuff as I move up. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be excellent. And you are going on the dime of the All New York City Committee, is that right? I am going on the dime of the All New York City Committee. Always nice. So we have a couple of fellows. Jenny is one of them. So we pay their way to go down. Um, I had nothing to do with the decision. I voted against her, actually. Of course you did. In spite of that, (laughs) you still got it. You jerk. uh, Yeah, it's true. But this is going to be super fun. It'll It'll be a really good time. It's always nice to have some residents down that are interested in education. I think in the past, it was very attending or junior attending focused and now there's starting to be a little bit of a resident presence so i think it'll be a lot of fun yeah i think it's gonna be cool excellent so what are we going to talk about today for the podcast so this week we had a lecture from one of our second year residents ryland pace and he gave a great talk on ovarian torsion and tubo ovarian abscess since female pelvic pain is as we know a very common emergency medicine chief complaint and these are two of the really scary diagnoses on that differential i thought we'd talk about this Sounds great. You know, let's go ahead and start with torsion. So ovarian torsion occurs when the ovary rotates or twists on the infundibulopelvic or and the utero-ovarian ligaments. I'm glad that you gave me that one to say. Awesome. <laughs> I've been practicing all week. In the vast majority of torsion cases, this occurs in the setting of an enlarged ovary. The ovary could be enlarged due to a cyst or a mass or multiple follicles, as in the case of patients undergoing in vitro fertilization. Now, for whatever reason, the ovary is enlarged, and that makes it a much greater risk to torse. Right. So we commonly think about ovarian torsion in menstrual age women, but we have to remember that really all female patients are ultimately at risk for this disorder. So torsion, I was shocked to hear this, has been seen as young as in utero. Wow, like that's on, incredible. Yeah, on babies inside mommies. And this is usually due to cysts. Um, it can be seen in premenstrual girls, and this is usually because their utero-ovarian ligaments, I said that well, are longer than in adult women. So even if they have totally normal-looking ovaries, they are more at risk for torsion because of this longer ligament. And it can even happen in your elderly patients. So just always kind of keep this in the back of your mind. Yeah, that's a great point to always think about this regardless of the age group. I still remember a case I had when I was a third-year resident of an eight-year-old girl who came in with right lower quadrant pain, and we were all fixated on the diet diagnosis of appendicitis. Now we got an ultrasound and that revealed a torsed ovary. And I vividly remember the EM attending and the GYN consult looking at the reading from the radiologist and they were just incredulous for about 10 minutes because none of them had seen a patient that young with a torsion. So it really can happen that young. Sometimes I think in those patients you're going to back into the diagnosis. So that's the youngest I've ever seen. And because of that, I always do keep it in the back of my mind with pediatric abdominal pain. Okay, Swami. So how do these patients present? So the most classic presenting complaint is going to be pelvic pain, and that's seen in about 90% of cases. The pain can come in various shapes and sizes in terms of quality and radiation, but most often it's going to be described as moderate to severe pain and sudden in onset. And somewhere between 40 and 70% of women will also present with nausea and vomiting. I think this is something really important to keep in your mind as well, especially when you're looking at those women with the right lower quadrant or right pelvic pain. 
The presence of nausea doesn't mean that this is necessarily an appy. This could still very easily be a torsion. Yeah, that's especially important to consider given that the right ovary is the one that likes to torse a little bit more than the left side. Oh, how frustrating. Yeah, it's so frustrating. It's like the appendix isn't enough. We also have to worry about the ovary on that side. <laughs> the reason this happens is because the right utero-ovarian ligament is longer than the left, and that allows torsion to occur more easily. Now, on top of that, the presence of the sigmoid colon on the left may actually prevent torsion on that side. So right lower quadrant pain is going to just remain a mystery. <laughs> How do we figure this out? Yeah, exactly. So usually we're going to begin with a pelvic exam. And on that exam, you may be able to identify an adnexal mass or adnexal tenderness that's going to point you towards a GYN diagnosis. Now that said, EM docs as well as gynecologists have been found in literature in the past to be pretty poor as in terms of inter-examiner reliability at identifying a mass uh, or tenderness on pelvic exam. In fact, there are some studies looking at patients with diagnosed ovarian torsion in the operating room induced and the pelvic exams were still equivocal. Regardless, it should still be done as it may help to guide you and help you with your workup and imaging choices. But finding what you think is a normal pelvic exam shouldn't totally reassure you. The most helpful aspect of the workup for torsion is ultimately the imaging. Ultrasound is usually the imaging of choice and has a specificity ranging from 93 to 100%. The most common finding is unilateral ovarian enlargement, usually greater than four centimeters. In torsion, the ovary typically appears hypoechoic, secondary to edema from an obstructed lymphatic or venous flow. Frequently, this congestion pushes all the follicles to the periphery of the ovary, creating this string of pearls effect. A Doppler can be added to the ultrasound and findings are dependent on the degree of vascular compromise to the artery. Lack of arterial flow has a positive predictive value of 94%, but represents a pretty late finding of what may be a non-viable ovary. So this finding is not required to make the diagnosis of torsion. Ovarian torsion may also be diagnosed on CT or MRI, although ultrasound should be the primary imaging modality if torsion is your leading diagnosis. Swami, if you had a patient that looked clinically to have a torsion but had totally normal ovaries on your ultrasound, what would you do? Yeah, this really hones in on the point that torsion is a clinical diagnosis. If the patient has severe pain consistent with torsion and a negative ultrasound, you still suspect torsion just like with testicular torsion. Get a consult on these patients, and if you're in a training institution, I think you should push for an experienced gynecologist to see the patient and not just a resident who's only read about the disorder. When in doubt, keep the patient for observation, repeat examinations, and repeat consultation as needed. Those are words of wisdom, I think, in a lot of emergency medicine. Repeat exams, repeat evaluations. You never know when you might find something. Absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to talking about tubo-ovarian abscesses, or TOA. A TOA is an inflammatory mass involving the fallopian tube, ovary, and occasionally other adjacent pelvic organs such as the bowel or the bladder. They're most commonly found in reproductive age women and usually result from infections of the upper genital tract. TOA often coexists with pelvic inflammatory disease, but it should be noted that this is not always the case. A TOA could also arise from uncontrolled disease processes of the bowel, appendix, or occasionally even from hematogenous spread. The risk factors you're looking for for development of TOA are things like multiple sexual partners, young age, somewhere in the 15 to 25 range is where they're more typical to be found, and a history of PID. There used to be a thought that IUDs increase the risk of TOA, but this doesn't seem to be borne out in more current studies. The diagnosis of TOA is essentially a two-step process. 
first the diagnosis of PID is made based on clinical criteria, and then an ovarian mass is identified on either your physical exam or on imaging. Swami, I know we're going to talk more about PID next week, but in brief, how do we go about making this diagnosis? Yeah, there are specific criteria for diagnosing PID that include counting the white cells and vaginal secretions and documenting an infection of either gonorrhea or chlamydia, as well as the presence of fever and discharge. Really, only the last two are going to be of use in the emergency department because we're not doing the microscopy looking for those white cells, and we're not going to wait for the gonorrhea or chlamydia test to come back. In general, the patient has vaginal discharge plus or minus a fever and is found to have cervical or adnexal tenderness on exam. The safe thing to do is to consider PID. PID and treat it. One of the scary potential complications of TOA is a ruptured TOA. This can occur in actually up to 15% of cases. These patients will typically present with an acute abdomen and signs of sepsis. They are going to generally appear quite sick, so you probably won't miss them. Yeah, if you suspect TOA in a patient, you're going to want to obtain some basic labs, including some pre-op stuff like type and screen, and of course a beta HCG. In addition, inflammatory markers such as a white blood cell count, ESR, CRP, may be elevated, but I don't think that in most situations these are going to be clinching. These inflammatory markers are terribly nonspecific, they can be insensitive, and they're not going to really allow us to hang our hat on a diagnosis. For imaging, we usually start with an ultrasound. Ultrasound is definitely the imaging of choice when a variety of gynecologic processes are high on the differential. Here, a TOA would appear as a complex, multilocular mass that can completely obscure the normal adnexa architecture. Yeah, although ultrasound is traditionally considered the go-to modality for this, I think CT may be a better imaging test. A couple of years back, David Lee, a resident then and now one of our attendings, and I wrote up a review of the literature on the topic. The bottom line of our research was that ultrasound wasn't nearly as sensitive as we believe it to be. The sensitivity in various studies ranges anywhere from 56 up to 93%, so not exactly great. Now, we don't have great evidence that CT is better, but the limited studies looking at it found that CT was superior to ultrasound. MRI was even better, but let's be honest, it's going to be tough for us to get that done. The bottom line, just like with torsion, is if the patient's presentation is consistent with TOA, don't stop just because the ultrasound was negative. So treatment, once you've made this diagnosis, may include antibiotics, IR or surgical drainage, or a combination. When we hear the term abscess in emergency medicine, our brains always go to drainage and source control. But when it comes to a TOA, antibiotics alone may be considered in women who are hemodynamically stable, have no signs of ruptured abscess, so they can't be peritoneal, they have had abscesses that are identified as smaller than nine centimeters and who are premenopausal. Either way, the dispo for you from the ED includes admission to GYN and starting IV antibiotics. There are a few different antibiotic regimens that can be chosen for TOA. In general, we want to treat gonorrhea and chlamydia the way that we would in PID, as well as treating anaerobes. There are a variety of antibiotic regimens to choose from, but a good starter would be cefoxitin 2 grams every 6 hours and doxycycline 100 milligrams orally or IV every 12 hours. But if the patient looks at all sick, go ahead and broaden your coverage to Vank and Zosin. Jenny, want to give us the take-home points from this podcast? Of course. So first, torsion is more likely in women with an enlarged ovary, for whatever reason, but remember that it can happen to women of all ages, so keep it in the back of your mind. TOA is an inflammatory process that usually results from an infection in the upper genital tract, such as PID. These patients generally look sick. When a woman, particularly a reproductive age woman, presents with what looks like sepsis of an abdominal source, just be sure to keep this diagnosis in your differential. 
And then last, when considering TOA or torsion, the first imaging modality is usually ultrasound, but a normal ultrasound in a patient with a high clinical suspicion shouldn't rule out these diagnoses. Remember that these are diagnoses that could lead to loss of reproductive ability or in worst cases, leading to death. So when in doubt, get your consultant involved and reassess, reassess, reassess. Excellent. Perfect take-homes as always. Well, that's all for the Coriam podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coriam.net where we've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday on the management of cellulitis and a journal update on factors that can be used to predict failure of outpatient management of cellulitis this Thursday. Visit us on Facebook and like the site. Visit our Google Plus page and follow us on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks and see you all next week.